Insight Church. We are starting in a new season. It's called Advent. We lit the first candle today, uh, representing hope. And the theme of this season for us here at Gate City Vineyard is going to be when God shows up. When God shows up. When God shows up, he brings hope and peace and joy and love. That's what happens when God shows up. He showed up on that, in that manger years ago in Bethlehem, but he's still showing up for us today. So one of the very special things I wanted to do this morning uh, and each morning as we go into worship is to hear from someone in our congregation about how God showed up for them. So this morning, Jorge Matrino is going to share with us testimony. Good morning, everybody. So I just want to start out by saying without Christ, I'm extremely ugly. And I'm without, I have no hope, you know. And so I tried doing everything on my own and just being an angry person. So I was a very angry person inside. So to cope with that, I dealt with, I got into pornography and it became an addiction. A life, many, many years of addiction. And my wife found everything out Black Friday of 2012. So that's been nine years since this past Friday. And so she was ready to leave, ready to go out the door. It's 2 a.m. She's ready to pack up the kids and get out. Um, and, you know, as most of us do in those moments of time, we reach out and cry out to God. So that's exactly what I did. I, I ate ball the black, the Bible. And in doing so, I came across a, uh, I read, forgiveness follows true repentance. So God spoke directly to me for the first time in my life and just opening it up and, and reading into it. And so that night, the spirit moved through me. I just vomited everything out on her and just told her everything that I had done and, um, and been involved with. And it was, you know, shining all that light on that darkness. And uh, um, at my job, I was on the borderline of, of cheating. So it was, you know, God told me and spoke to me you need to choose between your marriage and your career. And it was a very difficult decision to do because at this time I was an art director for Verizon Wireless. It was the top of my game of, of being a graphic designer. I'm making higher than what a you know, salary is for a graphic designer in North Carolina. So I'm like, man, this sucks. You know? <laughs> I'm never gonna get to this point again, you know? So, but you know, I put my letter of resignation in and decided to choose my marriage. <laughs> so. so we, you know, we had no income coming in. Kara was in college at the time, so she didn't have a job bringing money in. And it was, she had one semester left for 2013, the beginning of it. We had to pay a mortgage still for our townhome. And uh, yet we invested $2,000 into our marriage counseling at the time. So that was just emptying out part of our savings. And, you know, we did counseling for a year, and we luckily, by God's grace, found a, a Catholic deacon to be our, our, our uh, marriage counselor who hit home to me, because I grew up Catholic. And um, we were forced to move in with a mother-in-law, too, which was uh, kind of like, I, I, I've been fighting against that for years at the time. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. I just did not want to do it. They just kept on, kept on, let's do it, and then we finally just had to. And... Um, you know, I just felt like I was doing a trust fall into the Grand Canyon with no parachute. Just God, catch me. <laughs> That's, that was my hope. God, catch me. 
And, you know, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I was able to do that and have faith in God and have hope. That was my only hope. And moving in with my mother-in-law, leaving my job, not being the main breadwinner, you know, relying on food stamps, all go against what I was raised in. And my father, um, he's a retired colonel in the Army, so it's like that's even harder for him to deal with that sort of thing. So it messed up my relationship with him. And, you know, a, a verse that, that came out in this to me was uh, Matthew 8, 21 through 22, where one of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, let, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury the dead. And I was like, ouch, that hurts. But I see your point. Okay, I'm going to follow. You're my hope. And it messed up my relationship with my, with my family. Um, in the midst of this storm, we sold our home, praise God, in that June of 2013. In the summer of 2013, I got a job roofing. Talk about, you know, destroying my pride. I'm here, I am a graph designer for Verizon Wireless, going to be a roofer. And that hard labor was, was extremely difficult. And yet, God still placed me with a Christian mentor at the time, which was great. He was, he was a, a good mentor at the time, during that time. And um, th this, this journey, even though it's most difficult, I've had the greatest lessons ever in, that, in those times, and just trusting in him for our next meal, whatever it may be. So... Hoping and trusting in God is everything to me. Trusting him, you know, just trusting him to provide for our family, just like he does the sparrows. So from on that Black Friday on, my wife and I have been doing, we've been doing morning Bible studies ever since. And, you know, just sacrificing that, that hour of sleep in the morning is very difficult to do, but yet we, we need to do it. Spend more time with God. We've, we, we notice that when we don't do it, we miss a, a Bible study, it, we have a bad day. <laughs> The enemy comes in there and he just messes you up. So we do our best to try keeping that, that time precious to, with each other. Um, but, you know, God loves each and every one of us, and we need to surrender part of, you know, part of ourselves to him every day, whether it be our time, our identity, where we work, our money. So now fast forward nine years from that Black Friday, God restored me. He killed the old me. He birthed a new one. You know, he shattered me, you know. And he put me back together in a better way. He restored my marriage. He restored my relationship with my father better than what it was. He allowed our family to spend the last years of my mother-in-law, Karen Zeliff's life. You know, we, she was diagnosed with cancer in 2015. So two years after we moved in, she's diagnosed with cancer. She passes away in 2017. You know, I would have never known her the way I did. She was not the mother-in-law I thought she was. She did not ever get in our business. She was an amazing person. And my wife even got to spend all that extra time with her before she passed. And, you know, he allowed our, our um, the good Lord has even doubled my income since that time. And, you know, I have no idea how that even happened, but I guess, you know, I put limits on him, but why should we put limits on him? He can do way more than what we can expect. So my hope is in him, and I... Now I just submit, surrender every single part of my, myself to him fully. So. Amen. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you, Ray. Wow. When God shows up, there's hope. 
when God shows up, there's hope. Thank you so much. What a, it's hard to come up after that, honestly. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for that you are the sort of God who uh, takes us right where we are, Lord, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter where we are. God, you take us, and you, you want to work in our lives, Lord. You don't give up on us. People might even give up on us, Lord, but you don't give up on us. Lord, and you are, you are in the business of doing a transforming work in every one of our lives, Lord. So this morning, we, we declare hope over ourselves. I declare hope over this body. We declare hope because you are the God who showed up, and you're showing up today in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. When God shows up, wounds are healed. People are forgiven, fears are removed, and we're at peace even in the midst of chaos. When God shows up, sadness turns to joy, our shame is taken away. The lonely don't feel alone anymore. When God shows up, we know we're safe, we know we're secure, we know we're loved, and there's no mountain we can't climb. When God shows up, everything changes. I remember growing up, uh, and, and I was an atheist. Our, families were athe our family was atheists growing up. We didn't believe in God, but we celebrated Christmas. We loved Christmas. We had a Christmas tree and all the presents and all that. And I loved it all, the lights and all that. But I was finally, at the age of 15, I came to know Jesus, and I wanted to be baptized. And so the next time I could get baptized was December 15th. So it was in the Christmas season. So I remember going to church. Everything was decorated. All the, all the, um, the town was decorated, the lights, the trees, and all of that. And I went, went in and had the baptism service, came out. And I will never forget what it was like walking out after that. Because, of course, everything looked the same. The lights were all still there. But to me, everything had changed. It was as if, almost as if someone had just sprinkled fairy dust on the whole thing. It was, like, glowing. It was sparkling. It was... It was as if I finally realized all of this is for Jesus. Like, this is why we do it. Even if we don't know, that's why we do it. I mean, none of that would exist if not for Jesus. None of this holiday, none of the lights, none of the presents, none of the trees, that would, none of it would exist without him. And it just changed Christmas for me forever. Like, the Christmas decorations never looked the same to me after that. They were sparkling with Jesus, every light, every present. And, you know, Christmas is about God showing up in our world. It's not like... Jesus came into existence at Christmas. Let's make sure we have our theology straight. Jesus has always existed. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was with God in the beginning. He spoke the world into existence. So Jesus has always existed. But it's like one day he said, well, I'm going to come down to them. I'm going to become like them. I'm going to take on their world. I'm going to be in their world. I'm going to eat like them and live like them and be hungry like them, be tempted like them, suffer like them. When you cut my skin, it's going to bleed. When I go without food, I'm going to be hungry. He, he came into our world to be like us. And we call it the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. Actually, God here among us, God both Equally, God and man here on earth with us. It's, it's amazing when you think about it, that God showed up. And that day, then heaven, you know, the angels came and filled the heavens and, and startled a bunch of shepherds with this verse, with this statement from Luke 2. Today in the, God, in the town of David, a, day, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. God showed up. 
And when God shows up, everything changes. It's the kingdom of God comes down into the kingdom of this world. It's like the heaven, the veil between heaven and earth opens up, and, there's, and we somehow see now God as he truly is. We somehow experience his, and this is how it is when God is present. It's, it's true for us today. We are kingdom people. We live in that kingdom life where he is present to us if we'll only open our eyes and see the way the world sparkles with Jesus. There's a worship song that was really popular a few years back, and it's called When You Walk Into the Room. I don't know if any of you know the song, but it's talking about Jesus walking into the room. And the lyrics go like this. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. When you walk into the room, every heart starts burning, and nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. And uh, I used to have a worship leader that loved this song, and she played it all the time. We were always singing this song, and I kind of teased her about it because there's something about it that kind of made me chuckle because the way the lyric is, you know, when you walk into the room, I had this image of, like, Jesus just, like, sauntering into a party, you know? <laughs> like, oh, here's Jesus, you know, he's here. And it was kind of, to me, almost a silly kind of image, but then when I thought about it, it's like a really good image because you've all been to a party, and that person walks in the room. And I don't know if they have a certain charisma or personality. Maybe they're super good looking. Maybe they're just really funny. But when they walk into the room, the vibe changes. You ever experience that? There's just, you know, suddenly conversations start flowing. People are laughing. Like the whole, everything changes when that person walks into the room. Nothing had changed about the lights and the decorations out in my town while I was in there getting baptized. Everything had changed because of what God had done in me, because he'd walked into my room, and everything had changed. So I want to ask you, is that story, is this story of Bethlehem just for back then, or is it for us today? Is Jesus wanting to walk into your room, walk into your life, and change everything? He does. He does. Yes, he does. Um, he promised it, that he's still with us, that he's still walking into the rooms of our life, and he wants to do that. He promised it even before he left the earth physically. Matthew 28, 20, it says, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He promised before he left, I'm going to be with you all the time. I'm not leaving you. I'm here with you. John 14, 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. He's making his home in your heart with you. It's like walking into the room of your heart. And how does he do it? John 20, 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, it's by the Holy Spirit that he is with you right now. As you have called on him, if you have asked Jesus into your heart, the Holy Spirit is within you, and he is doing a transforming work. He's, he's in the room, ready to work in your lives. He's very much here with us. And you know what? He's here whether we realize it or not. He's moving throughout history. He's moving in your family members' lives. He's moving in people down the street and the guy that is the grocery clerk. He's, he's moving all the time and he's working history out the way he wants it to be worked out, whether we realize it or not. But if we do realize it, if we start to open up our ears and open up our eyes to see, God's at work in your life too. And he wants to do that work. He's still in the habit of showing up in very concrete ways. And so this holiday season, as we're talking about God showing up, we're going to talk about that each week, how he brings hope and, and peace and joy and love. These are the things he wants to bring into your life. We're going to be celebrating the Advent reading. Thank you so much to Amber and Adam for that great reading today as we lit the candle 
We're going to light a new candle each week and celebrate, remember what God has done. We're going to have testimony, people who's, where God has showed up in their life because it's not just about what God, what God did years ago in that chilly stable. That's the story. That's the manger scene. But it means, it tells us that he's still showing up in our life here today in Greensboro or wherever you are listening to this. And so, are you excited? <laughs> are you excited for what God's going to do? He wants to show up in your life this season. Let's make this a holy season. It's so easy for this to get to be a very busy, stressful season, and we're going to reject that. <laughs> we're going to reject that busyness and that stressfulness. Let's, let's realize that God is showing up for us every single day. If we'll just open our eyes and see it. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to speak for just a few minutes about our first, first idea, which is the idea that Jesus, when God shows up, he brings hope. And, you know, hope is an interesting word, right? When we use the word hope, it's kind of, it's almost kind of a weak term in our language, in our English language when we say hope. We say things like, that we don't really expect, like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain this weekend, or um, I hope I win the lottery, you know, or uh, I hope my team makes it to the Super Bowl. You know, though we hope for these things, and they're kind of weak hopes, right, because they're, they're kind of not based on anything solid. Unless you're Elijah this morning, you probably can't control whether it's going to rain or not this weekend, right? You, you, you know, you, that you have very little hope in changing that. You can say it, but it, there's very, you have very little that that's based on. You can buy a bunch of lottery tickets, but you still probably have a very low hope of winning the lottery, okay? There's very low odds of that. And, you know, depending on your football team, but let's say your football team is, I don't know, the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> your hope of winning the Super Bowl, I'm not going to say it, because I'm new here, I don't want to make any enemies, <laughs> just in case. You never know, right? You never know. There's always hope for a, for a, for a football team. But hope, hope really. <laughs> Cowboys, all right, that's a bit, there's a better hope there. But, you know, hope is only as good as the thing or the person that you're hoping in. Right? If the team's not so good this year, you can hope all you want. But they probably won't make it. Hope is only as good as the thing or the person you're hoping in. And so that's why biblical hope is so different than our hopes for all these other things. Because our biblical hope is based on... It's based on Jesus. It's based on God. That's why we hope. We know he can be trusted. He's our hope. And so let's talk about that. How, what, what do we, how do we think, why do we think that we can trust Jesus? Why do we think he's someone we can hope in? Well, let's realize that what Christmas shows more than almost anything else is that Jesus was the fulfillment of centuries of hope. This, this doesn't, didn't just start in Bethlehem. This had been going on for centuries, this hope for a Savior to come. And it's interesting, it's a fascinating thing about the Bible that it's proved over and over again through so many different things. I talked about this over the summer in our Who series, how can we trust that the Bible is true? Well, one of the ways we can trust it is because of so many fulfilled prophecies. In the Old Testament, prophecies were given, and they're all, all fulfilled, or almost all fulfilled, in the New Testament. Some are still yet to be fulfilled. The Old Testament promise, prophets had a promise, and that promise was that a Savior would come, a, a Messiah that would deliver the people from their hardship, would deliver the people from their sin. And they said it over and over again in different ways, and what's interesting is if you read them, so many of them point to the little story that we know about in the manger in Bethlehem. Right, so I want to just give you a few so that you see what I'm talking about. Recognize the familiar story in it. 
I'll start back at the very beginning, Genesis. Abraham received a promise from God. Before he even became a father, before the nation of Israel was even formed, God came to Abraham and gave him this promise. He said, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, we know that God was about creating uh, a nation of Israel and so on, but this, this promise went beyond that. This said all peoples of the earth, not just a particular nation, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This was one of the first prophecies looking ahead to a Savior who would save the whole world. All right, so there's the first one. Then you fast forward a few hundred years. During the time of the kings of Israel, God gave them this hope, and this will sound very familiar to you with the Christmas story. In Psalms, the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him, and all nations will serve him. Now, this was given around the time of Solomon. You could say, well, maybe they're just talking about Solomon, you know, like kings brought him. He was honored by many kings. He was a great great king. But yes, but this is different because it's saying all kings will bow down to him. The whole world is going to bow down. The whole world did not bow down to Solomon at that time. But the whole world is going to bow down to this new king that Solomon is just a reflection of. But this new king is going to be there, and he's going to, the whole world will worship him. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a pointer to Jesus. Then we fast forward a few more hundred years. It's a time of the divided kingdom when Israel split into Israel and Judah, and God gave hope through many prophets, and one, two of them were Micah and Jeremiah. Micah 5.2, you'll recognize this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. What a cool description of Jesus. He's He's being birthed out of Bethlehem, but yet somehow his origin is from old. That's Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And then Jeremiah 23, 5, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will raise wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So what God is doing in these prophecies is he's kind of narrowing the scope of who this Savior Messiah is going to be. First it's going to be of the, of the nation of Israel, and then it's going to be of the nation of David, of the loins of David, and then it's going to be in Bethlehem. So we're narrowing down to who this Savior is going to be, whom we know who he's going to be. Finally, later in exile, another bunch of hundred years later, God gave the people this hope. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I didn't ever notice this before this morning when I was rereading this. It says, for us to a child is born. So it seems like, okay, so like a human, a normal person is going to be born. And then two seconds later, it says he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So he's no ordinary child. This is no ordinary king. Again, this is going to be the God-man, Jesus, who is both, both human. He was born as a baby, but also Mighty God, Everlasting Father over all things. Again, just so specific to Jesus. And finally, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
Isn't that amazing? I could go on and on. I mean, there are, there's prophecy after prophecy through different rulers, through di political unrest and wars and, and invasions and exile. God gave them glimpses, promises that he was going to come, that he was going to show up in their world and change things, change everything. And we know how the story was end because it was fulfilled in Jesus. Right? We know. We know that's how it was end. And so now think about some poor Israelite a thousand years before the time of Jesus has this promise he's holding on to. Maybe some guy 500 years before or 200 years before or even 40 years before Jesus. And he's holding on to this hope even though there's no hope in sight. Right? Jesus wasn't anywhere near coming yet. And yet they said, the Lord Jesus, the, the, our, our Father God, Jehovah God said it and so I have hope. That's hope. That's biblical hope because God says it. I believe it and I have hope. So biblical hope is sure because it's in God. And so let's make this practical and personal for us this morning. Where is it that you need hope? Where in your life is there something that just seems beyond hope, that you need the hope of Jesus in your life, that you need him to show up in some way in your life? It seems, and it's, maybe it seems hopeless. We're going to be praying for one another. We're going to have an opportunity to pray at the end of the service for you to have hope in that situation. I want you to hold that in mind as I'm talking here because we, we want, this is about our personal lives. This is not about just Jesus back in the manger in Bethlehem. It's about us today, that God wants to show up for you. I want to just tell you three quick things about hope before we pray for one another. The first is that hope is, by necessity, unseen. It's about something that you can't see. I don't hope today that I'm going to wear a black shirt. I, I'm wearing a black shirt. <laughs> I'm already wearing it. There's no hoping about it. It's already happened. Right? So there's no hope for something you can see. By definition, hope is for something we can't see. The Israelites didn't see how the Messiah was going to come. They would have never imagined the manger scene. They would have had no idea how that was all going to play out. And you might say this morning, I don't know. I can't see how my situation is going to work out. Exactly. Good. That's where hope comes in. If you could see how it was going to work out, you wouldn't need hope. You probably wouldn't even need Jesus. But if you can't see how it's going to work out, that's where we start to hold on to hope. We grab it and we hold on to it. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So get used to not seeing, church. Get used to not seeing. The second thing about hope it's even harder than not seeing it, is that hope waits. Hope has to wait. I'm sorry to say it, but most times hope is a long-term proposition. <laughs> it's kind of unfortunate, um, but in the Bible you see waiting and hoping almost always intertwined. Almost always. Psalm 130 says it over and over again. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Waiting and hoping and hoping and waiting, waiting and hoping. It's together. Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior, my God will hear me. So you might have to wait. We're not so good at waiting, are we? Waiting is terrible. <laughs> I mean, who likes to wait in line on Black Friday? 
Who likes to wait in traffic? Who's in a good mood when they're waiting in traffic? I mean, and here's what's funny. So we moved to Greensboro, and one of the things I told everybody up north after we moved here, I was like, there's no traffic here. I love it. I mean, you, you can't believe how much traffic there is in New York. I mean, it's just everywhere you go, no matter what time of day, there's always, always, always traffic. And so I came down here, and it was like, oh, there's no traffic. And so it was awesome. And I would just zip around. Even at rush hour, there's pretty much no traffic. I remember asking um, Mylene when she was taking us around, I said, oh, don't we have to be careful about going at rush hour? She goes, oh, there's no rush hour. You know, so I was like, oh, I love this place. But here's the funny thing. Four or five months later, whatever it is now, when I'm going home, and if I go home at 5, and there's just a little backup on battleground, like maybe one light, i got to wait. I'm like, this traffic, what's wrong with this place? <laughs> We're so impatient, aren't we? Maybe it's just me, I don't know. We lose hope so quickly. If our Amazon delivery is not here in two days, man. We're like, where's my box? Two days, come on. Think of those Israelites waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Mo most of them dying and never seeing the answer to their hope. Most of them. I think that's why the guy in the temple was so happy to see Jesus, the baby Jesus. He said, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. God wants us to have a long-term hope. Think about what it is you've been waiting for for a long time for healing or peace or for your family or for a husband or a wife or a child, for direction or success. We're not just waiting for the world to somehow turn our way. We're waiting for God. And so God can be trusted, even if he takes a long time. Can we trust God today? Say, I wait for God. I wait for God. We're going to wait for God. Finally, the third thing about hope is that it is Jesus-centered. It's always about him. Psalm 71, 14. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. Hope is about turning to God in praise and in thanks. It's looking to him, not to the answer. See, we often lose hope because we're disappointed because the answer we were hoping for didn't come. The direction, the success, the, the answer to prayer, the healing, the spouse. And so when it doesn't come, then our faith in God somehow wavers. We're like, what's wrong with God? Why didn't he, like, do this thing? Well, it's because we've shifted our focus to the thing that we asked for as opposed to keeping it fixed on Jesus. He's the hope. He takes his time. <laughs> but he's the hope. I once heard a pastor speak uh, about, you know, a kind of a long series of personal and, uh, disappointments and hopes shattered kind of in his personal life. Uh, and at the end of it, he said, I just don't know sometimes why God doesn't answer. But if we stop believing, we're in trouble. And I just thought that was so heartfelt for a man who'd been through it, that, that we, we, we believe in God. It's that thing when we don't see, when it's not the answer that we wanted. That's when faith comes in. That's when trust comes in. And that's when we hope. And hope is never disappointed. God is always the one who satisfies our hope. When we fix our eyes on him, he satisfies us, even in the midst of the thing not happening that we want to happen. Does that make any sense, church, this morning? I don't know, I don't see, but I'm going to trust God anyway. Remember that Jesus can work things out in ways you would have never imagined, ways that you would have never predicted. If you would have talked to me when I was 14 years old, a year before I came to faith, 
you would have been like, she is one annoying atheist. So like, she just is on and on about how there's no God, and she will never come to faith. I mean, that girl, no way. And a year later. Possibly, if you would have talked to Jorge a couple years before the testimony that he shared, he would have said, I don't know that there's any hope. And yet God came through in ways that he didn't expect, that... He, this is what God does. See, he comes through in ways we don't expect and in a time that we don't expect. Think about that poor Israelite back in the time of, you know, 400 years before the coming of Christ, 1,600 years after the prediction of, to Abraham, and he's still waiting. And you would look at him and you'd say, that old fool, he's still hoping for a Messiah? 1,600 years later, he's still hoping. Just give it another 400 years. And then Jesus came. Hope may sometimes seem crazy, but Jesus, but Jesus, but for Jesus, our hope is in him. And it's not crazy to hope in God when our focus is on him, when our focus is on the need or the prayer, that's when we get lost. That's when we get unsettled. That's when our faith wavers. But when we focus on Jesus, we, our hope is sure because it's based on the solid rock of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I want to tell you that the promises of God were not just for the Israelites, for Jesus to come, that there are now promises that we receive because of Jesus coming, because of his salvation, that are for you and me. And there are a lot of promises for God, of God to you. Does it matter that Jesus showed up all those years ago? Yes, because he's still showing up in our world today, and he is still a fulfiller of promises, a keeper of promises, and he's a keeper of promises in your life and in my life. And, you know, a church I used to go to used to love to say, and maybe some of you like to say this too, the promises of God are yes and amen. Like that phrase? The promises of God are yes and amen. What does that mean? It means that, yes, God is going to fulfill his promises. doesn't matter if you don't see it yet, you don't feel it yet. He's a fulfiller of promises. They're yes and amen. That's from 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God. And so what are the promises of God for you and me this morning? I wanna, I'm going to just give you some. There are does, hundreds of them in the scripture, but today I want to read you my top ten. And these are the promises of God for you. I actually have them printed out on sheets in the back. Grab one on your way out. Grab two and give one to a friend who needs to hear the promises of God. Okay, because these are for us. These are for today, for you and me. And so I'm just going to read them out to you. When you're tired and weary, God promises... Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Number two, when faced with an impossible situation, God promises this. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Number three, when you're faced with trial after trial, stressed out and troubled in your heart, God promises, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Another promise. Don't love that one. But take heart. I have overcome the world. When you're struggling financially, wondering how you're going to make ends meet, God promises we know that in all things, God works for the good of those. No, I'm sorry. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Number five, when everything seems in chaos, when there seems no way to resolve your situation, God promises, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes. And anybody resonating with any of these promises today? Are these for you? 
Are they for me? Are they for us today? If you're feeling it, read them out with me because it's awesome to declare these to the Lord. When it seems that God is not listening, God promises, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Number seven, when you feel alone or afraid, when the giants against you seem so big, God promises in Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Number eight, when you just need answers, when you need to find the truth, God promises, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Number nine, when you feel you may not make it, God promises, but the one who stands firm to the end, will be saved. And this last one, when you need love, when it seems like there's no one out there who truly loves you, God promises in Romans 8, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future declare it, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do I get a yes and an amen? Amen. Amen. That verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20, in the NIV says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and through him, amen. The Lord always keeps his promises. No matter how many of them there are, they're for you and they're for me. He is fulfilling those promises in your life. He's wanting to fulfill them in your life. You can hope in that. And no one who ever hopes in the Lord will be put to shame. So I want to remind yourself of this this week as you look at those lists, that list of promises, as you pray, as you think about hope, that when God shows up, there's hope. And for whatever is going on in your life that you need hope in, God is here today, this morning, to meet you with some hope, with some encouragement. And so we're going to go into a time of ministry. As we know, this is a time when we just allow a few minutes for the Lord to speak to us and to minister to us through our prayer teams. And the prayer teams could come up and, and be ready to pray with people who would like some hope. And it could be in any of the things we just listed or some other things. But I want to give you an opportunity to come up and be prayed for, to, be, to have your brothers and sisters pray for you and bring some hope, help you with some hope in your life. And if you don't come up, that's fine too. I want you to take this moment and start to confess to the Lord, I trust in you, I hope in you, in this thing that's bothering me, in this financial problem, in this relationship problem, in this life issue. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to put my hope in you. Pray something big and audacious before God this morning. Maybe you think, oh, I'll never be healed. It's never going to be fixed. Have hope. Have hope. Our trust is in God, not the answer. And so I just encourage you to come forward for prayer. We're just going to take a few moments and put our hope in Jesus this morning.